Stories, fables, ghostly tales. Welcome, you brilliant people. I'm going to jump straight into today's episode, as it's a series-based episode. And if you just listened to part one, I want to keep that wave going for you. So all my thank yous will be at the end of this episode. So let's dig into part two of the Demon Tobit of Delphia. Delphia. There were people. There was music. There were children laughing. I stepped out of the church and into the air that was much warmer than I would have expected anywhere here. It was still chilly, but it had more a pleasant winter afternoon feel to it. The city I was standing in had an exotic look to it. At the time, I could only describe in my mind as Icelandic. Not sure if that makes sense, but that is what popped into my mind, both by the style of architecture and dress of the locals. It didn't take long for them to notice me, either. Look, Mum, a visitor at the door, shouted a young child, clearly excited to see a new face. Several men in uniforms began to walk towards me. The uniforms were somewhat similar to an old-style police uniform, just a simple black coat with a single star. They didn't appear to have weapons. Sir, by which means did you come to our city? Asked one of the officers. I just walked through the church. I answered. Oh, so you entered through the Mendez Gate, third from seven on the side of Chisme? Said the officer, as though any of that was supposed to make sense to me. Officer, my boat is wrecked about a mile south from here on the shore. My friend is dead, and his body is still on the boat. I informed the officer. Of course, sir. We are aware of your wreck and have already sent a party down to retrieve the body. Suicides are never easy, right, sir? Officer, thank you. This has just been a crazy sort of... My mind trailed for a second. How did he know Serge's body was on the boat? Had I told them on the radio... I couldn't remember. Sir, we have to register all visitors to our city. Do you have identification papers? Asked one of the officers. Oh, sure. Let me just get it out. I reached for my wallet and in doing so, knocked loose the pistol that had been tucked into my waistband. As soon as it hit the ground, both of the officers' eyes became wide. Unauthorized tool! Screamed the first cop. Everything went a little crazy after that. Sir, come with us. Stated the officers, stern and with no trace of that friendly tone that had just been there. Wait, what happened? I just bought it in case... I felt a strong arm grip the back of my collar. Sir, no more questions. We must go see the magistrate. I thought of running, but it occurred to me that every single eye in this city was on me. Plus... Where would I run to? Back to my moored ship? Out into the thousands of miles of tundra? I figured this was a simple violation of some rule. Certainly they wouldn't be so harsh to someone who has never been here before. I just needed a chance to tell my story, and then they would help me. I was still the fool. I was escorted through town on foot. There didn't seem to be a car in this entire city. 
Now, while there were no glass-walled skyscrapers here, this was still a very urban place. Old-style buildings, some of which looked to be at least 60 stories tall, loomed to my left and right. I saw restaurants, street vendors, something I was sure was a hospital, and a huge cathedral that made the St. Louis Cathedral in New Orleans look like a country church. It was gothic in style, with torches lit all over the place. On top, I saw some sort of gargoyle. At least, that is what I thought it was. Upon closer look, though, it seemed to have the head of a bull, or maybe a ram. Things were happening too fast. We arrived at what I assumed to be a courthouse. As I turned back to look at the city once more, I could have sworn the horned ram statue on top of the church turned its head down to look at me. Impossible, right? I'd been placed in a small room with a wooden desk. I wasn't handcuffed, nor had I been charged with any specific crime. I was simply placed in the room and told to wait. A man entered finally. He wore black and green robes, and yes, as if for the grandest of effect, he wore a powdered wig. He was of average height and middle-aged. Thank God. He was smiling at least. I am Magistrate Craven, and you are Derek Reynolds, correct? Yes, sir. May I ask what is going? He cut me off. You have lived at 522 Tulane Avenue in New Orleans, Louisiana, correct? Yes, sir. May I please ask what is... Again, he cut in. You were on a voyage with your friend when you became stranded on your shores. You called out for help on your radio and you were led here, correct? I was becoming agitated now. My friend was dead. I was stranded here and this guy only seemed concerned about discussing facts which we already knew. Yes, sir. I responded loudly. Now, can we please discuss helping me out? I am stranded thousands of miles from home. Is there some way I can use a phone or send my parents an email? Something. Unauthorized tools. No phone, no email, especially no guns. You violated our rules already when you entered our town. When you'd be so brash as to violate them further and in front of the city magistrate. He was no longer smiling. I decided to come clean with him. I told him all about Serge's suicide, the ritual that he conducted, how he intentionally damaged the yacht. I apologized for violating their customs. I told them that I only brought the gun in case I needed to send a signal. My honesty seemed to sedate his rage a bit. His smile returned slightly. Mr. Reynolds, we understand that newcomers often have trouble adapting to our ways here. All is forgiven. However, as far as getting you back home, that may prove to be a challenge. We don't communicate with the rest of the world. While there are cruise ships that pass near here on occasion, and there are some science stations dotted on our continent, we have no means of reaching out to them. I am afraid that, much like your ship, you are moored here in Delphia. That name! This is what Serge was talking about. Is this where he wanted me to wind up? Suddenly, I was hot, despite the cool temperature all around me. 
I tried to hide my feelings from the magistrate. I wasn't sure about him, and I certainly wasn't sure about a city where your friend chant its name right before blowing his brains out. What about the radio? Someone from the city here responded to me. Can't you use that radio to call one of the science stations? Or maybe even a passing ship? His smile faded again. We are conducting an investigation into who used a radio here in Delphia. Such devices are unauthorized. My heart sank. At first it seemed that I was saved when I walked into this city. Now it seems these people are not only unable to help me, but are also unwilling. We have arranged a room for you at the cathedral. Father Madison is happy to assist you in learning your way around. I think in time, you will find Delphia to be a place of wonders. I began to develop a rage. I had to will myself to remain calm. I don't want to stay in Delphia. I want to go home. Please! The magistrate smiled as he turned to leave the room. Mr. Reynolds, you are home. Two uniformed guards entered and escorted me to the cathedral without a word. I tried to talk to them, to ask them for help, but they ignored my words. The inside of the cathedral was amazing. It was huge, the size of an arena easily. At least 200 pews lined each side of the church, with each pew itself being long enough to easily seat several dozen people. I only describe this to give you an idea of just how vast this place was. The ceiling was easily 200 feet above, decorated with strange paintings. I had little time to actually examine them as I was being shuttled through the vast room, but I was able to glance at that strange goat head creature. The image was the goat thing standing over a naked woman. The woman was eating what appeared to be rotten fruit. The men escorted me through a small door near the main altar, which opened into a large oak-walled hallway. This hall seemed as though it could go on forever. They selected a door and moved me briskly into a bedchamber that reminded me of a monk's cell. Just a bed and a simple nightstand. Father Madison will be in to see you shortly grunted one of the officers before shutting the door and leaving me alone with my thoughts. The Brave Sailor, Timothy Van Buren I have no way of knowing exactly how much time passed. The door was locked from the outside, and I was placed in the room sat on the bed. I paced the room, sat on the bed, paced some more, and finally began to hear some signs of life out in the hallway. Voices. Two men speaking. I couldn't hear their words through the thick oak walls very well. I thought I heard something like, the masking, but that could have been my imagination. Eventually, it sounded like one of the men walked off. Then I heard the sound of a key opening my door. I braced myself for whatever was next. A man entered my room. He was dressed in a plain brown robe with a simple satin rope binding it at the waist. He appeared to be in his early thirties. Hey, what is going on here? Why am I being locked inside of a church? I demanded. You are in great danger, so listen, because I will only have time to tell you this once, responded the man. I felt the urge to demand more answers, but opted to listen. I suppose you could say he had my undivided attention, 
when he started the sentence with great danger. My name is Timothy Van Buren. I've been trapped here in Delphia for almost 70 years. Yes, I know my age defies that. But if you understood the dark magic that governs this place, you would not question such a thing. Close to 100 years ago, Antarctica was sought after by many countries. People wanted a piece of this land, either to civilize or militarize. Many expeditions were made here by many different nations. I am from Wales. We made our journey here in hopes of planting our flag and perhaps developing a port. Of course, none of us knew exactly how harsh the winters here really could become. Most of us realized early on that the idea of having a city here was ridiculous. However, our captain claimed that he knew a way, a way that we could live here, thrive here, and build here. He claimed he had spoken with a monk, and that monk had told him of a ritual to unlock the true heart of Antarctica, known as the capital of creation, Delphia. We landed on the shores of Antarctica and found that our captain had committed suicide. Most of us decided that the best course of action would simply be to sail home. However, the first officer deemed that as a waste of resources. He wanted to report something of value back to our leaders. So we set out on foot, intending to conduct a survey of the area. That is when we came across the small church, the one you no doubt entered this cursed place through. We intended only to use the church for warmth, to spend the night and then return to our ship. That night, though, we heard music, singing, talking, life on the other side of the church walls. We opened the rear door and found this place. We were amazed, of course, an entire city surviving here in this harsh tundra. They welcomed us the same way they welcomed you, all smiles at the very start. Then they found something on one of the men. I cannot even recall what it was now, but they called it an unauthorized tool and we were taken into custody. Two of the men fought back. We were brave and proud naval officers after all. It did no good, though. We were overpowered and taken. I never saw the two sailors that fought back again. I was taken here to this very church. I was told I would attend the masking, whatever that might be. What it was, well, it was hell brought to earth. They gathered in that cathedral out there. Must have been over a thousand in there. That is when I saw our captain. His body was dragged up to the altar. Whatever black religion these people practiced here, they began to chant, all of them in black robes. A large boar's head was brought forward and forced over my captain's head. When it was secured in place, I saw the most amazing things. His legs and arms began to twitch and flail. Suddenly, he stood up, screaming and clawing at the mask. The men restrained him, and he eventually calmed. He was led away with the boar head still on. The next day I saw him again, without the mask. He was walking about like nothing happened, as if he had not slit his own throat a couple of days prior. He was changed, though. He wasn't the man I once honorably served under. What do you mean? I asked, speaking for the first time in what seemed like eons. They ate flesh. Not during the day, 
During the day, this place almost seems normal. At night though, they eat flesh. I watched the captain eat the throat of a woman. They all do. It is the most terrible when you see the children eating human flesh, their mouths covered in blood, their eyes greedy. With that, Timothy stood up and moved towards the door, placing his ear to the oak, just to ensure we were still alone. It was I who called you on the radio. The church has claimed many items from those that come here. It took me some time to figure out how to use it, but now I think I can save you and maybe save my soul. I am sorry for calling you here. My intention was to meet you at the small church and provide you with supplies. But Father Madison became suspicious and I had to return to the cathedral. However, sometimes I hear of the transmissions on this device. Cruise ships, perhaps, or maybe even Navy vessels. If you escape here, get out to the shore. You may be able to radio for help. We must move fast, though, as they intend to do a masking ceremony tonight. These people become feral on most any night, but on nights of masking, they will become all but pure beasts. You will be given only two choices. Swear yourself to Hiyak Tobit, their dark god, or die. I was a coward. I chose to swear to Tobit and live. Now, I can never leave this place. However, maybe there is hope for my soul if I can help you avoid this damned fate. He handed me the radio, which looked like a slightly advanced walkie-talkie. I figured it must be a satellite radio or something. Timothy slowly cracked open the door and peered into the hallway. Okay, all clear. We are going to exit through the main cathedral. People will be gathering for the masking ceremony. There will be a lot of activity. People coming and going, settling in. I think we can use that to our advantage. Once we are out in the city, we move quickly towards the small church. Since you haven't been sworn to Tobit, you will be able to leave. Wait, just answer me this. What is this place and who is Tobit? Timothy grimaced in annoyance. I'll tell you on the way. Come now. We made our way down the hallway, moving slowly but with purpose. Timothy whispered quick details as we advanced. Hiriak Tobit is their fallen god. He is said to have fallen from above and built his kingdom right here. He created Delphia but had no followers, so he waited waited for ships to become lost at sea and would lure them here. Over time, he assembled followers and allowed them out into the world with the sole purpose of sending more to him to fuel his never-ending hunger. I have no doubt that my captain fell victim to one of his followers, as I am quite sure that your friend had a similar encounter. They plant the command deep within their mind to seek out this place. The only way to open Delphi, though, is through a sacrificial ritual. Suicide seems to be the preferred method. The one that performs the ritual is brought here and masked, becoming permanently bound to Tobit. Those that wander here afterwards, people like you and me, are given the option to swear our souls to Tobit and live here forever or die. Now, no more talking. We must move. We had arrived at the small door leading out into the main cathedral, when it suddenly occurred to me that Sergio was going to be masked.
I have to help my friend. I said bluntly. You cannot help him. He performed the ritual. He opened Delphia. He will be masked. I felt rage build inside of me. Rage against the evil city. Rage against my own friend for doing this and rage that I knew that I couldn't help him. Timothy was putting his life on the line to save me. I wanted to help Sergio, but the time to play hero was gone. I could have helped Sergio when I noticed his downward spiral, yet I chose to sit in Brazil and drink and sleep around. As selfish as I felt, I knew I had to focus on my own survival. The Masking Ritual Timothy led me out into the cathedral, and as he had mentioned before, it was filling up with people. They still appeared normal at first glance, but as soon as I looked deeper into their faces, I saw that greed in them. There was an energy in this room, a very negative energy. I imagine this is what it felt like to be surrounded by sharks in the water. The plan was actually going well at first. We were weaving through people, slowly but surely making our way to the grand doors that led out into the street, when suddenly a hush fell upon the place. We had been so busy trying to move with strategy that we failed to notice the people taking their seats. We made it all the way to the rear pews when the room went silent. Timothy grabbed my wrist and whispered, Sit down. We sat. The ceremony of Hiryak Tobit was beginning. A man, dressed in black robes, entered in from behind the altar. He was tall and gaunt, but still projected a power about him. I glanced behind us and saw that the doors had been shut. We will make our move once the ceremony starts. People will become enthralled and won't pay any attention to us. But we will have to move fast, whispered Timothy. Father Madison began his unholy sermon. People of Delphia, tonight we gather once more to perform our sacred ceremony of Hiryak Tobit. Tonight another disciple has come forth having executed the ritual of the seeing, and having once again opened our city to the world. Tonight, we shall revel in the spirit of Tobit. We shall consume as we were intended by the Creator to consume. Man consumes man, woman consumes a woman, and our Father, He of the depths from above, He of the darkest stars, He whom we must all offer communion upon, will consume from us, as it was intended, as it shall always be. As it shall always be, responded the thousands attending. Madison looked over to one of his fellow robed fanatics. Is our newest disciple prepared? The hooded man nodded. I noticed something covered in white linen being brought to the altar. Close your eyes. You do not wish to see this, urged Timothy. How I wish I had listened. Once on the altar, the linen was removed, revealing Sergio's lifeless corpse. I tensed my hand into fists and began to stand. Timothy restrained me. Don't be a fool. You cannot stop this. Madison began the ritual. Hiriak Torbit, he of the void. Master of our lives, owner of our souls, molder of our minds, we give to you a new soul, who gave his life to you, willingly, through your sacred ritual, 
we ask that you accept him. Accept him! Shouted the entire church. The head of a goat was brought forward. Seeing that brought back the memories of a dream. The dream where I was out in the snow in some barren place being attacked by such a being. I bit down on my fist to keep from screaming at them. I wanted to turn away, but my eyes were locked on. The goat head was forced onto Sergio's body. Madison began chanting in some unknown language. People in attendance continued to scream, except him over and over again. Suddenly, Serge's legs began to twitch. His arms began to twitch. Madison screamed for him to rise. Rise! An order that my friend followed, yet he still twitched and stammered around the altar. Two hooded men stepped forward and steadied him on his feet. He has been accepted. All praise, Delphia. All praise, Yaktobit. Madison screamed at this last command, setting the entire church into a frenzy of cheering, chanting and screaming. Madison closed his eyes and murmured to himself, his hands moved over the crowd, and a hush fell upon them. He was chanting something and moving his hand right to left. Thank you, Lord Tobit. He said in an almost conversational tone. His hand stopped and he pointed a finger in the direction of the right-hand pews. My people, Lord Tobit has chosen his harvest. Those to my right, within the first ten pews from my altar, you have been chosen as the harvest. I glanced over at those people, and what I saw was heartbreaking. Husbands embraced wives, children appeared to be afraid and reached for their parents. Some just closed their eyes and waited. To the rest of you, the time has come. Feast, feast and consume for Lord Tobit, screamed Madison, full of zeal. On command, the rest of those in attendance converged on the group that had been singled out. Men, women and children were grabbed and by all that my sanity could compute, were being eaten. We must move now, Timothy barked into my ear. We moved towards the doors, pushed them open, when suddenly we heard the voice of Madison. Where do you think you're going? That man must still make a pledge to Tobit. I looked back long enough to see several hooded men begin moving in our direction. Also, Sergio, or whatever he had become, was moving towards us with lightning speed. Timothy grabbed my arm and mouthed, RUN! As we charged out into the cold night, we were sprinting for all we were worth until the small church came into view. Go, Derek. I will stay here and try to slow them down. Remember, get out and use the radio. Try to get help and tell people about us. Don't let us remain forgotten in this nightmare. Thank you, Timothy, thank you. I will tell the world about this, don't worry. I'll come back with the damn marines if I have to. I'll find a way, I promise. Then go! I began to run towards the church, but looked back to see a mob with torches moving towards us. That's when I saw Timothy draw the pistol I had brought into town. He must have snagged it at some point. Come at me, you bloody wanking bastards! Come ahead and have a taste of an officer of the Royal Navy. Timothy emptied the gun in a volley of bullets that managed to slow the mob's fevered charge. Once I made it to the door of the small church, I turned back once more to see Timothy standing at attention. 
preparing to be trampled by the mob. With the courage and ability he had shown tonight, perhaps that mob was in for more of a fight than they thought. I honestly hoped Timothy would make it hard for them. I entered into the small church and slammed the door behind me. I moved a broken pew in front of the door, trying my best to wedge it closed. I could already see the torchlights of the mob approaching through the windows. I turned to exit through the front door when I was met by a dark figure, standing directly in front of the doors that would lead to my freedom. Derek. My God. Derek, let's go on a boat ride. It was... Derek, we finished school on time. Sergio. Serge, please. Let's get out of here, both of us. We just have to go through the doors. Derek, Tobin chose me. Fanatics began pounding on the door outside. I didn't have much time. They would break the door down in a matter of minutes. Serge, I didn't choose this. If this is what you want, then have it. But please, let me go. I want to live my life. More pounding from the door. They would be in here in seconds. Let you go live life. Without thought, I reached forward and pulled the goat head off of Sergio. The face beneath was blank. Suddenly, the door buckled in. I could see hands reaching through, forcing away my makeshift barricade. Serge, those men will kill me. Is that what you want? I pleaded. No. Derek, I... I am sorry. Sergio suddenly surged forward. I braced myself to be tackled. I cleared my mind, preparing for the end. When I felt no impact, I turned to see Sergio charging towards the rear door. He shoved the door closed, forcing out the prying hands. Go now! He screamed. Without hesitation, I ran for the front doors. Within seconds, I was out, standing in the frigid world that was Antarctica. I turned back to see men filing the inside of the tiny church. They threw Sergio aside and advanced to the threshold of the door, but went no further. They stared at me, hatred in their eyes. Perhaps it was jealousy that I had escaped. I was able to catch one last glimpse of Sergio before I turned to run. He was smiling. I ran to the coast and kept running. When I could run no more, I pulled out the radio and began to call for help. I walked on, moving north, repeating my distress call over and over again. Every so often I would throw a glance over my shoulder, just to make sure that no one was pursuing me. No one was. I was alone. I went on like that until the chill became too severe. My knees buckled. I collapsed down on the freezing earth and called for help into that radio until my hands became too cold to squeeze the talk button. Finally, feeling no hope of rescue, I allowed the cold to take me. It was actually quite peaceful. Salvation I awoke in a bed. I was warm. There were lights on. I could hear voices coming from somewhere. They must have come out and captured me after all. I tried to climb out of bed, but my legs were like rubber. A machine was hooked up to me. It began to beep louder and louder as I thrashed more. 
Finally, a woman came into the room. Sir, you must calm down. She spoke calmly. No, I won't swear my soul to Tobit. Tobit? Asked the woman. Where? Where am I? You are at the Dakota Falls Science Station. My name is Dr. Unis. You are very fortunate to be alive. What, this isn't Delphia? I asked. No, sir. We found you a little while ago. We picked up your radio signal and traced your location. You are just lucky that we were out on a survey at that time. We found you barely alive. We brought you back here. My friend, he is still back in Delphia. We, we have to call for help. He needs help. Sir, what is this Delphia that you keep mentioning? Is it a cruise ship? No, it's the city, south of here, near the old church. Banished the church? There are no cities there. Just a solitary church that was built by early visitors to this continent. There are no cities in Antarctica, just a few science stations like this one. I was there. There are thousands of people, buildings. Sir, you are suffering from exposure. I began to offer more arguments, but Dr. Unis reached over and injected something into my IV bag. It kicked right away. Just get rest, sir. I gave you a good sedative. You're safe now. Whatever happened to you, you're safe now. I began to doze off. For whatever it was worth, I was rescued. I could sleep. The nightmare was over. I spent about two weeks at the science station. While there, I was given a full battery of medical tests. With the exception of a little frostbite, I had no major issues. I was back on my feet after a day or two of bed rest. While at the station, I spent almost every day with their staff therapist. I told them everything. From leaving Biloxi to Sergio's change in behavior, to his suicide, and all the insanity in Delphia. The doctors continued to insist to me that no such place existed on this continent. They came to a much simpler diagnosis. They believed that I went into mental shock at Sergio's death. That combined with the Valium that I told them I took, combined further with the yacht wrecking onto shore, had left me drug dazed and confused. They believed that I did wander to banish the church, however, they insist that I must have simply fallen asleep in there and hallucinated the rest of it. Then, after waking up from my vivid, shock-fueled dream, I staggered out of the church and began to travel north, calling for help on my radio until I passed out and they found me. They even went as far as to have me look at maps of the region, satellite images and all, just to convince me that there were no cities. As far as Sergio and the yachts, they believed that both sunk together and were no doubt deep under the ice by now. Travel was arranged. A few days later, I was being picked up by my parents at the New Orleans International Airport. They stayed with me for a couple of weeks at my apartment, helped me get back on my feet. Sergio's father spared no expense to find his son. He hired a private team to search the area where the last GPS signal from the yacht could be traced. Months went by. The yacht was never found. I could have saved them a lot of time searching. I knew right where Sergio was. However, by then I realized that no one would ever believe me. My therapist shared the same opinion that the doctors at the science station presented. It was all a shock-induced nightmare. The authorities hassled me for a few months too. They were convinced that I must know something. I stuck to my story, 
They went through their normal routines, but eventually realized that they were getting nowhere with me. Six months have passed since I awoke in the science station. I have started a career. I have been dating someone, and it looks like it's going to become serious. The other day I was driving to work, just sitting there in New Orleans traffic, singing a song with the radio, when it occurred to me that I was forgetting, that I was starting to believe what the therapist kept insisting was the truth. Sergio deserved better than that, so did Timothy for that matter. I did promise to try and help them, so maybe this is the best I can do. Before I go and forget, before I go and start to believe that maybe it was just a Valium-fueled mind trip, I wanted to tell this story. There is a place, Delphia. It is a place of great evil. It is hungry. Be warned. Like all hungry beasts, sometimes it hunts. Mates, I hope you enjoyed this story by K. Banning Kellum, the Demon Tobit of Delphia. I really love the mystery in this episode, the friendship forged out of desperation, the redemption of a lost best friend, and the sacrifice of a man in their desire to redeem themselves in a world governed by chaos, for it only to be forgotten. A fantastic story, and I can see why people rate it as a classic. Now... One of my favorite parts of doing this podcast, my thank yous. Mates, I want to thank my Ode Night Tea Titans, Matthew J. Bauer, Master Yule. His words had the power to craft substances unknown to man, but stronger than any metal or compound on earth. With a whisper, you might disappear, and with a mutter, your skin begins to change. Master Yule's a fair keeper of his realm, and the nemesis of Tobit of Delphia. And his disciples are unique and specialized. Those that are chosen by the Master Yule become gods in their own right. Such is the power he wields. Maya, Queen of the Thess Plains. Queen of per- Maya is the Queen of Perception. As she is deemed among her disciples, what you see is not what you get. And the Queen of Perception will make kings fall to their knees and kingdoms struggle in a war that never took place. The disciples of Thess are feared and respected, and rightfully so. Often appearing as floating orbs along the plains of Aldrast, where the Thess plains meet. Maya, keeper of perception and the controller of vision. What you see is never as it seems. Ask your questions to her, wisely. Thank you both for your support, as always. And I've added more music in today's episode, top quality audio that I hope you'll love. And at every upload, your support is always on my mind. Thanks again. And now, for my white tea warlords, I own Cows, the Hoof Warrior. Having withstood an entire army of cattle trampling through his hometown and the only survivor, I own Cows was seen at the front of a herd of cattle blasting through the plains of Aldrast. People wondered if what they were seeing was true. Or was their vision being manipulated by the Queen of Thess Plains? They could never tell, and would never know. But I own cows still rise today, stopping for nothing but the greenest of fields. Lee Bauer, the Crimson Blade. The Crimson Blade was born during an adventure of misplaced footing. 
Lee slipped down an abandoned tomb to land squarely on a stone blade bursting out of the ground. His blood on that blade awoke a spirit that turned him into the hero he is today. The Crimson Blade is one of the few humans able to strike directly at the Tobit of Delphia, using his own blood as the weapon of choice. And Solstra of Horn. Arrows fly dexterously through the air. Solstra's skill is second to none. Pairing up with a Crimson Blade, she's a master of Horn technique. No one knows where she procures her weapons, but some whispers in the wind say that she is one of the only chosen disciples of Yule, and that her arrows, as they whistle through the sky, create new life, new substances, yet on impact are unstoppable and completely unbreakable. Such is the power of Yule, and the technique of the Hon tribe. Mates, thank you so much for being so awesome and supporting this podcast. As always, new music, new stories, and new filters allow the podcast to really show what it can do. Thank you again. And my O-Grain forces, Chad Warren, Just Heather, Lorraine Crisanto, Paige Marcini, Peter Raffelli, Michelangelo Yacone, Robert Fisher, and Tasha Moncrief. Mates, all of you are marvelous. Thank you all for listening. And for those that have sent me emails this week, I'll be responding this weekend as that's usually the only time I have off. Stay brilliant, which is easy for you guys and girls. And as always, till next we meet.